Well, welcome everybody this morning. Kids, you are dismissed down to King's table, up to King's table. Um, this morning, we're going to be in John 21. John 21, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 21. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one in a seat back around you. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that one that's around you. Uh, we love giving Bibles away, so please take that. And if you are using that Bible, you're looking for page 907. 907 is where you're going to find John chapter 21. As you're turning there, I'd like to thank uh, the Bailey family for breakfast this morning. If you uh, strolled in just at 1030, uh, you missed out on a great breakfast uh, throughout the year, a couple times a year. The Baileys uh, and MJ um, provide breakfast for the for the church. They come early and cook. And so thank you very much. Uh, we all ate a lot. I ate a lot, at least. Um, and so uh, thank you guys. And I'd also like to thank our hospitality team. Uh, speaking of coming early, our hospitality team puts a lot of time and energy into coming, uh, setting the church up, helping to make this place feel welcoming, um, where we you come in and you're greeted um, by someone who cares that you're here, someone who cares that uh, you decided to come and worship with us. And they uh, are the ones who answer questions. They're the ones who direct us to the coffee. They're the ones who make sure the seatbacks are in order and the place looks clean and just generally put some time and thought and energy into uh, wanting to help us as a church communicate to anyone who walks in, whether you've been a member here forever or you're brand new, we want to communicate the hospitality of Christ. We want you to come and find rest here. And the hospitality team does a great job. So Amy and her whole team, thank you for all that you do. If you're interested in joining the hospitality team, you can use the connect cards uh, in the seat backs around you to get some more information about that. So um, this morning we're going to continue in our series looking at the life of Peter. We have this week and next week we have two more and then they're we're wrapping this up. Um, and so we've been looking and learning from the Apostle Peter, learning that God takes ordinary people, right? Peter is just an ordinary guy, regular fisherman, blue-collar guy. He takes God takes ordinary people and uses them in extraordinary ways. And that's what Peter has found himself in in these last three years uh, as he walked with Jesus. And so we're going to continue with our series this morning. I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into John 21. So please bow your heads and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for another day. We thank you for this opportunity to gather and worship you. Lord, we come to you this morning seeking rest in you. We come seeking your presence. We come into this place expecting to encounter you, to hear from you. So Lord, whatever distractions, whatever pain, whatever baggage we have brought in with us this morning, help us to put those things aside. Help us to dwell and fix ourselves on you, on the message you have for us this morning. Lord, as I preach your word, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be glorifying to you. We pray all of these things because of Jesus and in his name. Amen. So when we last left Peter, before we get to John 21, when we last left Peter, he was weeping outside of the gates of the city. He had just denied knowing who Jesus was. He had denied knowing Jesus and his relationship with him three times. And Peter was heartbroken and felt the shame and the guilt of what he had done. And not only did he do that, but then Jesus was hung up on the cross and executed. The one they believed to be the Messiah, the Son of God, was now dead in a tomb. And even though Jesus said this was going to happen, even though he specifically told them he would die and be resurrected, still the gravity of the situation, the overwhelming sorrow was too much for the disciples to think back on those conversations with Jesus. 
And so for three days they mourned and they wept. They were aimless and lost. They felt like all hope was gone. But then that day came. That Sunday came. That day where the stone was rolled away, the tomb was empty, Jesus was alive. And not only was he alive, but he was showing up to his followers. He appeared to them. He brought comfort and hope to them. Now we know from Luke's gospel, he appears to Peter at some point alone. And he also appeared to other disciples as well. And he brought with him a message. He tells them, do not fear. It's me. I'm here. Death could not stop me. Sin could not stop me. The grave could not hold me. I am more powerful than all of these things. I am here. I am alive. Jesus shows up and leaves a couple of different times. He's appearing to large crowds. He's showing up in locked rooms. It's a pretty long week for Peter, right? If we take it from Peter's point of view... He denies Christ three times. And then he watches the man who was a friend and a teacher, the one he proclaimed to be God in the flesh, die. And then Jesus comes back. And he's around for a little bit, but then he's gone again. And then he shows up, and then he's gone again. It's an exhausting, confusing time for Peter. It's a long couple of days for him, right? I mean, he probably didn't get much sleep. And that's where we find ourselves in John 21. We're going to pick it up right in verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. That night they caught nothing. Peter's whole world has been turned upside down. Like I said, Jesus was talking about his death, and then he, he tells Peter he's going to deny Jesus, and then Jesus is dead, then he's alive. It's chaotic and overwhelming. Peter doesn't know what to think or what to do. And so he thinks to himself, I do know one thing. There is this one thing I always found comfort in. There is this one thing I was pretty good at. I could always count on. And yeah, maybe I let it go for a while. Maybe I dropped it for a bit. But right now, it's the only thing that makes sense. It's the only thing I can trust. I'm picking my net up. I'm going fishing. Because being a fisherman was simple. Being a fisherman doesn't ask so much of me. It doesn't expect my life. It doesn't ask me to give everything up. And so Peter and the disciples go fishing. And they fish all night and they catch nothing. Let's pick it up in verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, 
but about a hundred yards off. Jesus shows up. They're out there fishing all night long. They catch nothing. Jesus shows up and yells, hey, did you guys catch anything? They say, no. He tells them, throw your nets on the other side of the boat. You'll catch something. Now, these are professional fishermen, right? This is Peter's livelihood. He knows the best way and time to fish. The best time to fish being late night, early morning. That's why they went out late at night and into the early morning. By the time Jesus shows up, prime fishing time is over. And on top of that, they don't know who he is, and yet he's giving them advice on how to fish. They don't know whether it is because they were so far off and they couldn't see him clearly, or because of just spiritual blindness, they couldn't tell it was Jesus. So they don't know who he is. The best fishing time is over, and yet they actually still listen to his advice. Now this whole situation is actually pretty standard guy stuff. Because there are certain instances, certain times, where guys just will, without asking, give their advice and opinions on things, right? So if you're at a party, you're at a barbecue, and there's a guy grilling, every other guy at the party will at some point gravitate to said grill. And they will watch this guy grill steaks, right? And they will share tips and theories, and everyone has their opinion on the best way to cook a burger, the best way to cook a steak, how to season it, how to marinate it, when to flip it, all of those things, and they will share unasked for these pieces of advice. The same happens in golf. The same happens when you're working on your car in the garage. Inevitably, another guy is going to walk down the alley and give you his opinion. And the same can be said for fishing. (laughs) So for some reason, they listen to him and they throw their net in and it's full. Now this whole situation reminds one of the disciples of the same kind of events that had happened three years prior. In Luke 5, something very similar happens. Jesus sees them out fishing. He calls to them. They hadn't caught anything. He tells them, put the nets in. They do, and they get so many fish that time the nets break. And so one of the disciples remembers this, and he says, that's got to be Jesus. And so upon hearing that, Peter throws on his outer cloak and dives into the water, swimming as hard as he can to his Savior. It says Peter throws on his outer garment. Did you notice that? He's stripped for work. Why would you put more clothes on if you're about to jump in the water, Peter? (laughs) Because he's still Peter. Not thinking, just acting. See, I envision this as like Peter is swimming as hard as he can. And he's kicking up water, but he's not moving very fast. And those disciples just kind of row on by in the boat. Kind of look at him funny. Peter, what are you doing, man? Like, I envision this as they got into land, and like 10 minutes later, Peter comes swimming up. But anyway, we pick it up in verse 9. When they got on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. Peter's whole world was turned upside down. So he decided to go fishing. There are going to be times when you feel the exact same way. 
where the world is going to throw you a curveball and you don't know what to do. And the reality is we live in a broken, dark, ugly place. And so at some point in your life, you are going to be affected and attacked by this world that is marred with sin. And there will be times when it is hard. And it will appear to be so much easier to not act as a Christian. It'll be so much easier to just go back to those old comforts, that old identity. It'll be so much easier to pick your net back up and leave behind what Jesus is calling you to. But Jesus is standing on the shore. And he's saying, look, I know it's hard. I know this world is broken. I know this life is tough, but I'm here. I'm here and I'm not going anywhere. And I got breakfast for you. See, in my family, food is love. So that just like speaks right to my heart and to my belly. (laughs) Jesus calls the disciples to himself and he feeds them. The Son of Man came to serve, not to be served. Earlier he had washed their feet and now he cooks them breakfast. Because see, God cares about the whole entirety of you. He cares about the physical and the spiritual needs you have. And so Jesus cooks breakfast because these guys needed some nourishment. Because they had been out all night fishing and they were exhausted. And so he takes care of their physical need, but there's also some spiritual needs that need to get met. There's a relationship that needs mending. Did you notice when it says that Jesus called them over to the fire, it says Jesus called them over to the charcoal fire. That word for charcoal is only used two times in the Bible. Once here, and one other time. To describe the fire that Peter sat around when he denied Jesus. You know, they say smell is the sense tied strongest strongest to memory. There are certain smells, right, that can transport us back to our childhood home around Christmas time. But that smell that reminds you of that one particular summer in high school. That certain smell tied to a favorite or intense memory. As Peter sat by that fire, I wonder if the smell of charcoal burning took him back to that courtyard. Took him back to sitting with those servants who accused him of being a disciple and his reaction and denial. So they sit around this fire, eating breakfast, and when it was over, Peter and Jesus have a conversation. Verse 15, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, Tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Do you think that Jesus was asking this question to Peter because he didn't know the answer? Of course not. 
Jesus knows everything. He knows Peter's heart. He knows Peter's desires. He knows Peter, right? He dwells on Peter. This conversation, these questions about love, these were not for Jesus to learn something. These, this conversation is for Peter. Did you see how Jesus addressed him? It's not Peter. It's not the rock. But he addresses him as Simon. His old name. Like it was the beginning again. Like when they first met. Jesus is reestablishing the relationship, showing Peter, look, there is grace here. And that grace is not built on you being the rock, but rather on my love for you, Simon, son of John. So he asked Peter three times, do you love me? How many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three. This conversation is Jesus' way of restoring Peter publicly in front of the disciples. Those men who Peter was told to be the rock for, to be strong for, right? Remember when Jesus told Peter about what was going to happen, he says, when you come out of it, I need you to be strong for your brothers. I need you to be the rock. They knew what happened. Peter knew what happened. This is Jesus publicly telling the disciples, you need to hear this from me. We're good. So he asked Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter, you once said no matter what anyone else does, you would go to prison, you would even die with me. You still think you're greater than the rest of the disciples, Peter? Do you still think that your love for me is that much greater than these guys? After everything that's happened, do you love me more than these other disciples? Peter's response is, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. See what he doesn't say here. He doesn't say, yes, Lord, I love you more than these guys do. Instead, I think Peter has had time to reflect on what he has done and what he has said. And maybe for the first time, he actually thinks before he answers and he just says, Lord, I love you. So Jesus responds with, feed my lambs. Second time, Jesus asks him, Peter, do you love me? And it's the same answer. You know that I love you, Lord. And Jesus responds, well, tend my sheep. And then there's a third time, Peter, do you love me? I think when it's asked that third time, I think it clicks in Peter's mind. I think sitting around this charcoal fire, being asked about his relationship to Jesus, only this time not in front of a bunch of strangers, but his fellow disciples and Jesus himself, I think finally with all this of the situation, I think it clicks what Jesus is trying to do here. And I think that's why Peter is grieved. I think it grieves him because he knows he screwed up. He knows he failed the first time. And I think it grieves Peter that this conversation in this setting is needed. The fact that he needs to be restored is what grieves Peter. And so he replies, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. 
God, you know everything. You know I failed. You know I sinned. You know I was selfish and weak and arrogant, but you also know my heart. You know me and you know that I love you. And so Jesus responds again, feed my sheep, Peter. Jesus has done a lot in this conversation. Even though he only asks Peter one question and repeats himself, he does a lot. Because just as Peter publicly denied Jesus, Jesus here publicly restores Peter. Letting everyone around that fire know there were no hard feelings, there was no animosity. He doesn't get passive-aggressive with Peter. There are no rude comments or snide remarks, no hate or anger with Peter. But there is no judgment here. There is forgiveness and grace. If you are a believer, if you have put your faith in Jesus, when you sin and you go to God to confess and to repent, he will not mock, he will not scold, he will forgive and restore because Jesus has already punished Jesus was already punished and paid for those sins. Peter's denial of Jesus was paid for at the cross. The punishment has already been carried out. Notice also here that he doesn't tell Peter, sorry, I can't use you anymore. Peter, I know that you're Sorry, you feel bad about what you did, and we're, we're okay, I forgive you, but you sinned too big this time, Peter. You messed up too badly this time, Peter. You can't be used for ministry. You're done. Now, quite the opposite, actually. Because of Peter's genuine repentance and remorse, Jesus tells him, Peter, take care of my sheep. Lead and protect my sheep. Peter, if you love me, if you truly love me, then I want you to show it. I want you to respond. Don't just let it be words, but put some action to it. For Peter, that meant being a pastor. That means starting and leading the church, being the rock of the disciples. But what does that mean for you? If Jesus asked you, do you love me? Hopefully some of you, hopefully many of you, can respond like Peter and say, Lord, you know I love you. But what would Jesus say next? What would he tell you to do? Where would he tell you to serve? What area of your life doesn't reflect the words of your mouth or the love in your heart because it's missing a responsive action? Because you can say it all you want. You can say that you love Jesus. You can even believe that you love Jesus. But if there is no action that goes along with those words, then it's just that. Empty words, not impressing or fooling anyone. Jesus calls Peter to take the love that he has for Jesus and respond with it. Use it. Let him be used by God. See, all throughout the Bible, we see people flawed and weak and selfish. And they get used by God to do amazing things. If you have put your faith in Christ, in his life, death, burial, and resurrection for the forgiveness of your sins, not only do you receive forgiveness, but you receive a new identity, a new hope, a new life. 
God takes those who are messed up, those regular people like Peter, and regardless of the circumstances, he says, look what I'm going to do here. Regardless of what you have gone through, what sins you have committed or the sins committed against you, God can use you. God has a plan for you because he made you and he knows you and he loves you. He loves you so much that even when you sin, even when you mess up so bad and you think I have screwed up too bad this time, it's unforgivable, it's too big, I've done something too horrible, that's not how God sees you. In those moments where you are wrapped with guilt and shame, Jesus stands on the shore calling to you saying, come here, I got breakfast for you, I love you, I'm never going to leave you. There is always forgiveness, there is always grace to be had through Jesus. Peter denied Jesus three times. And Jesus died to pay the penalty for that. And then he cooked Peter breakfast and he restored him. He forgave him. And he told him, Peter, there's still work to be done. CF, there is still work to be done. God is not done with you yet. He is calling you right now. He has work for you to be doing right now. If you are a Christian on earth, you have work to be done until he calls you home. He is calling to you right now. And for some of you here this morning listening to this, some of you, he wants your love. He wants you to trust him with your faith, with your hope, with your eternity. He wants to be your savior. He wants you to accept the free gift of grace and forgiveness found by Jesus at the cross. By putting your faith in him. And for some of you, he's calling to you this morning to respond to the love that you have for him. You may be a Christian, you may be in the word, you may have a strong prayer life, you may be in community, but some of you need to respond to the love you have for him, to put action to the words you speak and the beliefs you hold. Today, how will you respond? Let's pray.